right, let's uh, let's open with prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the opportunity to come together, to study your word, to worship you, uh, to fellowship with one another. And um, God, I just pray that you'd be with us as we continue our study, that we would um, just see Jesus' interaction with, uh, with people and come to have a deeper understanding of, of who you are and uh, your character. Um, and God, that uh, it would just cause us to love you more that it would cause us to um, seek to emulate um, the righteous deeds of, of our elder brother. Uh, and God, that we would uh, just uh, have a fuller understanding of your great work of redemption. Um, and uh, God, just that you would, uh, through this study, glorify yourself. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. So we're going to continue our study here on the life of Jesus. Um, and where we left off uh, last week is uh, Jesus was um, finishing his, um, his time of ministry in Galilee and was headed down toward uh, Judea and Jerusalem. Um, and I know I've said this uh, at least on one other occasion, but... Um, I'm just going to throw out a disclaimer because the chronology of some of these events is extremely difficult. Um, I, I felt that very much as I was preparing this lesson that like just, you know, where you have certain gospel authors who are the only ones that record an event and figuring out, you know, where exactly to place it or gospel writers who do record the same event, but they put them in very different places in their story, um, you know, just... You know, so the question is like, well, which one is putting it here because this is when it happened, and which one's putting it here because it's just thematically appropriate to put it here? It's really difficult. So, um, so don't take uh, the order I present things as as necessarily, uh, you know, hard and fast. This is the order that things happened in. So, um, anyway, so um, we we ended uh, last time uh, with uh, Luke nine. Um, I'm just going to reread um, verse 51 and continue on with what comes after. Uh, verse 51 there in Luke 9 says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered the village, a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples... James and John saw it. They said, Lord, do you want us to uh, tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. So um, so we see that you know, the, they're going to raid ahead south, um, presumably through Samaria here. Um, and Jesus, you know, he, he sends a message ahead, hey, I'm coming to this village. Um, how, do the, how do the Samaritans respond to that? They reject him. Yeah. What what does that I mean? What does that tell us about it, about them? You know, I mean, it even gives the reason why they rejected him. I, I mean, we could probably presume that it was as simple as you are a Jew, we are a Samaritan, and mm-hmm. you're in Samaria, right? Um, but I would say it, it could be just that simple. It also could be the fact that. Uh, 
they, they did not believe that he was the Messiah or or the prophesied one or whatever. Mm-hmm. And in verse 53, it says that because his face was set towards Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so, I mean, whatever they thought of him, I mean, presumably they'd heard about him, you know. I mean, his his fame was spreading far and wide. But, you know, and maybe they would have said, oh, yeah, if you're a prophet and you're coming here, that's great. But it's like you're just, you're just passing through and you're on your way to Jerusalem with the Jews. Like, nah, we're not interested. So you definitely see some, some of that hostility there that, I mean, it's, you know, something that's popped up various times throughout the Gospels. Um, what about the response of uh, James and John? What does that What does that tell us about what's going on in their heads? If you ain't for us, you're against us. I'm yeah. going to take you out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much a, a, a us versus them mentality. Um, it, it also kind of just. Uh, reinforces that they had a very martial view of the, the of Christ's coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's something that we've seen pop up over and over again, right? It's just like this very this worldly, this age type of view of, you know, what it means that Christ has come. Um, something else is though is like they don't say, hey, let's let's get some swords and, you know, ride down on them and attack them. They're talking about calling fire down from heaven. I mean, wh- why might they be saying something like that? I'd say that sounds a lot like the prophets of old, you mm-hmm. know, of God's judgment coming right. down on people. So, yeah. you know, there's a sense in which, um, you know, and they could have understood a little bit more of who Christ was or, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. So. Yeah. Why do you think it's even possible that they would consider that, like, that they could, they even could do this? Well, they, they, they've seen Jesus perform miracles, mm-hmm. and I mean, it says, should we call fire down from heaven? Now, we could include Jesus, but right. more of a we, should you do that? Right. Yeah, that could be. That could be. Um, one thing I'm thinking about is that um, while he was in Galilee, he had sent out the 12, which would include James and John. And he gave them authority, and they were going around, they were healing people, they were casting out demons. So it was like they'd already seen, man, Jesus can give us supernatural power. And so he's let, they're like, hey, can we, can we just can we just do can we just to- toast them? You know, I mean, it's uh, definitely not the right attitude to have. Um, how does uh, how does Jesus respond? What, is, what does that response tell us um, about what's going on in Jesus's head? I'm sorry? Jesus turned and rebuked him. Yeah, he rebuked them. I'd say that it's very much, uh, again, it's that's not why I'm here. Mm-hmm. That's, it's kind of, you're missing the point of why I'm here. You're missing the point of what we're doing. We're not going to just smite people because they didn't accept me. Right. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's, he's definitely is just dealing with this misunderstanding of the disciples. Um and uh, yeah, he has to he has to rebuke them. Um, continuing on with uh, with uh, the Gospel of Luke in chapter ten, um, it says after this the Lord appointed seventy two others and sent them on ahead of him two by two uh, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. 
And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the har- into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. Uh, But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So presumably this is Jesus uh, sending them out into the towns of Judea um, as as he's made his way south. Um, did Jesus expect a, a favorable reception when he was sending his disciples out? Not by the description he gave. <laughs> mm-hmm. What does he say? Well, you go out as lambs amidst wolves. Yeah. That's a pretty graphic picture. Yeah. Yeah, he's basically saying, yeah, you're, you're, you're lambs, and I'm sending you out into a, a dangerous place. Um, well, and he also gave them specific instructions for when they don't receive you, or if they don't receive you, here's what you do. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He he. Uh, it's like, hey, if they don't receive you, shake the dust off your feet, um, and you know, and is telling them to like give the message, like, kingdom of God is here, um, and uh, basically, it's a warning of the wrath of God. Um, it's interesting. It's, it's kind of a it's, a it's a delayed wrath of God. It's like on that day, um, it's going to be more bearable, more bearable for Sodom. Whereas not like what James and John wanted to do, right? You know, before they they're like let's let's just let's just get the J- day of judgment on right now. Um, but uh, but uh, you know, uh, it's it's a warning that judgment is coming because um, the kingdom of God is at hand. Um, but was there an expectation that perhaps some villages would accept him? Well, no, I mean, just like he gave instructions for when they did not, there were specific instructions for when they did accept that. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, basically, um, peace to the house um, that would accept this message, that would accept that Jesus and his disciples um, were who they said they were. So, um, so that's Jesus sending out not just the twelve like he did um, back in Galilee, but he's sending out uh, seventy-two. Some manuscripts say seventy. So, you, you, if you're depending on what translation of the Bible you have, it might say seventy. But um, that's just a uncertainty based on just the the texts we have on whether it's actually seventy or seventy-two. But that's not a particularly important question. Um. Anyway, so he sends them out, um, and then in verse 17, uh, they return. Uh, so 
Luke 10, 17, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Uh, in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, or... Who the, father, uh, who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see, and did not see it, and hear what you hear, and did not hear it. So here the, the 72 have returned. Um, what's What's the... What's on their mind when they come back? It, it's power. Yeah? Even demons are subject to uh, our word. When we, well, it's, sorry. Even demons are subject to us in your name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they're just like, wow. It's like, we went out and, like, we had power. We, you know, it's like, I'm sure that, you know, the 12 probably felt about the same way when, when they had gone out. Um, but they're just, they're just amazed. It's like, yeah, we, we've actually got this power. Um, so that's what they're focused on. Um, how did Jesus correct them? Do not rejoice in earthly powers, but to rejoice that your names are... Do not rejoice that the subjects are the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Yeah. Very much trying to keep their minds on uh, the, their eternal glory, not mm-hmm. their earthly power. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. It's very much a focus on what's eternal, and not on just this temporary earthly situation. Uh, because, I mean, what is this power that he's given them? It's it's there to show the reality, the truthfulness of who Jesus is and what he's there for. It's not just so that they can, you know, fling around all their cool power. Yeah. Um, it's 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 a demonstration, it's a vindication of the power of Jesus. Um, but they're very much focused on, again, the here and now. It's, it's, again, that's a theme we see over and over again. But Jesus keeps pointing them to the eternal realities. Um, what... Uh, I mean, he, he continues there with with a prayer, and what's what's kind of the focus of that prayer that he has? It's praising God for the fact that he he's basically bestowed the knowledge on the common people, on the the weak and the lowly, instead of the powerful, the high priests. Mm-hmm. The government, the, it's that it, he, he's been showing his grace on common people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, than. yeah. It's it's not based on how you know, you know how man views man. You know, looking at the great and the powerful, but uh, God is bestowing His grace on 
those who, according to man, are, are really nothing. Why is that particularly relevant to the uh, the way the disciples were reacting to their their power that they had? It's I see. Let me, let me ask another question. What what would they be tempted to think when they're going around and they, they've got all this power? It would be very easy for them to be puffed up with pride. Yeah. Like, yeah. This is something I did. Or, yeah. or even if it's not I did, I'm special because. Right, yeah. I mean, they could, they could look at it and it's like, well, you know, I'm, I, I chose to follow Jesus. You know, I... Or I was particularly meritorious, so Jesus decided to bring me along in, in his train. Whatever it is, it's very easy for them to start looking at their you know, their own selves and saying, Wow, I'm in this special position because there's something special about me. Um, but Jesus is reminding them. I mean he's he's praying, but also in that, you know, out loud prayer, he's reminding them that really it's nothing to do with them. It's it's all the the grace and mercy of God. And uh, he ends by telling them how blessed they are, um, you know, and that there were there were many prophets and kings, you know, and good, godly people that served God um, that wanted to see these things. But just because of God's good pleasure um, in his providence, they're the people that get to see these things. Um, it's not something that should puff them up or make them be uh, prideful or arrogant but they should just consider themselves very blessed that they actually get to see basically the coming of, of the Messiah in power. So, all right. Any other thoughts on that before we continue on? Okay. Um, so continue on in, uh, in Luke here. Um, we have what's, um, what's known as the parable of the good Samaritan. Now this is, this is a, a section I always really like, and I've, I've taught on it in other contexts. Um, and it always amazes me because it seems like so many times when the parable of the Good Samaritan is told, it's people don't have what goes right before it. And I think oftentimes kind of misunderstand what's going on. So we're going to read the whole thing and kind of talk about this. Um, so beginning in verse 25, And behold, a lawyer stood up, uh, to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, but he desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Uh, then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. 
And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, uh, he said, the one who showed mercy, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So very familiar passage. Um, What's the what's the context? What, why why does Jesus give this parable? Say the lawyer in question very much feels like he he is uh, he has been justified through his works through his mm-hmm. following the letter of the law. Mm-hmm. Of it's, I mean, it's uh, shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, mind, or your strength and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Uh, you just you know the, the man very much says, "I've done that. I'm I'm good." Right. Um. And so. And so again, so he says again, he wants to justify himself. So well, who's my neighbor? And right. Jesus' point is, even your enemy, even mm-hmm. your neighbor. Right? Yeah. What, what would he, what would he be tempted to think? What would what would the what would the uh, the lawyer be tempted to think? I mean, what you know, he's, he wants to justify himself. Would, would he be tempted to think that yeah, he's that, done this with all of his fellow Jews? Yeah. You know, he's treated other Jews this way. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, okay, can I can I define neighbor in a way that makes it a lot easier for me to love my neighbor. Surely I don't have to, you know, love my enemies. Um, but yeah, but Jesus pushes it to that point that it's it's um, it's love of enemies. I mean, it's interesting. You you know, I'm sure all of you have heard sermons on on this parable. But you know, you have um, you have a, a priest, you know, who is obviously you know supposed to be somebody who's really devoted to God. Um, that's you know that's a very specific. Uh, segment of the tribe of Levi, um, and he doesn't want to have anything to do with him. And you got a Levite, which is you know still somebody who's going to be serving in the religious worship uh, of the people of God. Um, not quite as high as a priest, but um, but you know still he's he had nothing to do with it. And you know they had just recently passed through Samaria, so I'm sure at least his disciples, maybe not this lawyer, but at least his disciples were very much aware of like that animosity with the with the Samaritans. That you know there was a Samaritan village that they were thinking about you know bringing fire down on. So um, so you have this people that are not um, generally getting along well with the Jews, and in Jesus' story, that's the person. Who actually um, shows love to neighbor? Um, so definitely a very good point there. I'm sorry, somebody. Uh, I was saying it's interesting to me that also that it's not that he had the Samaritan be the man who was beaten up. It's like no, you, we're going to show charity to our enemies. It's like no, your enemy is actually the one who was the one who showed love. Right. Yeah. He's better than you in that sense. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, he could have told the story where it's a Samaritan that's the one that's beat up. And you know, start going through who's going to deal with him. But presumably, it's a Jew that yeah. you know that got beat up, and it was a Samaritan that was good to him. So, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, that's all you know, wonderful stuff about this good parable. 
And I want to I want to return to um, the the beginning again. Um, so Jesus here, you know, he he uh, when the guy asks how you inherit eternal life, he points him to the law, and the guy just gives just like a beautiful summary of the law of God, right? You know, love God, love your neighbor. Um, and Jesus says, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. Now my question is, how does that fit with what we as Christians believe that we're justified by faith alone and not by obedience to the law? We are, it's, if we could do that, it's, it's not, that's not false what Jesus said. If we mm-hmm. could do that, we would live. Right. But we are incapable of doing that. That's um, that's exactly right. And so he's pointing out his need for, hey, you need a, a, a savior. Mm-hmm. I'm right here, standing in front of you. Right. Yeah. It's it's very much a, um, yeah. You think you're doing the things you need to do to inherit eternal life, but you're not measuring up. But there is that promise that's held out. I mean, that's a, um, I think a sometimes overlooked thing. Probably not in Presbyterian context too much, but. Um, because you know, there's there's very much the concept of covenant of works and covenant of grace. But I mean, I think that's this is one of the texts that really brings that idea home. You have a covenant of works. You have a promise of life based on obedience to God. Um, and so Jesus is basically setting that out there. But all of us know that we're sinners. All of us are violators of the covenant of works, and we all need to see that in order to see grace through Jesus Christ. So in, in order to really grasp the covenant of grace, we have to we have to understand, here's the standard covenant of works, you don't match up. Um, and so I think this is just a, a great passage for you know for bringing that out. And it and it you know sometimes people will point to this passage as a as a contradiction. It's like, oh well Jesus is saying you just you just obey the law and you're and you'll be saved. But no, he's presenting it as here's the covenant of works. But you're not you're not meeting up to this. So, um, continuing on then, uh, verse thirty-eight. We're just kind of just running through uh, Luke here for a little bit. We're gonna we're gonna switch soon, but um, Luke ten verse thirty-eight. Uh, now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, uh, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, uh, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, Uh, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Uh, But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So here's where we're introduced to the household of, of Martha and Mary and Lazarus, uh, this is in Bethany near Jerusalem. Um, what's the what's the interplay going on here between uh, between these two sisters? One's doing all the work, and the other one's just sitting there doing nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, just sitting doing nothing. Yeah, that's that's the way she views it anyway, right? Yeah. And so she complains about that, but then how does Jesus respond to her? Very gently, mm-hmm. um, but he, he points out that 
she is anxious. She's worried about many things. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's there's only one thing that's necessary. It's to hear Jesus. It's to sit at the feet of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Now, does this mean that like um, working hard is a bad thing, and that we should always just like sit around and you know be reading religious books and never never do any housework? No. But, I mean, this is a very special thing. It's like Jesus himself is here, and he's teaching. Um, and so uh, Mary, you know, realizes, like, this is this is the important thing right here. Um, and Martha is a little distracted by things that are less important at the moment. Jumping over to um, the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to be in Matthew 19 here for a bit. This is actually somewhat similar to what we uh, what we saw with the lawyer um, in um, in Luke, Matthew 19, beginning in verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him, saying, "Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life?" And he said to him, "Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments." And he said to him, which ones? Jesus said to him, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, and honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbors yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God... All things are possible. So, what's what's the what's going on here? I mean, do, do we see a similarity with the with the lawyer? How would you how would you describe what's what's what do we see that's in common with the discussion with the lawyer? Concrete step by step, A B C. How can I have eternal life? Mm-hmm. And how does Jesus respond? And he gives him the answer in the very first sentence. Why do you call me good? Yeah, that is true. There's only that's, one that's good. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's that's worth uh, that's worth discussing there. Um, what's what's Jesus doing when he when he says that? He, he's pointing out that he is God. Uh-huh. He is the Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, by saying there's only one that's good, one he's saying that only God can be good. Mm-hmm. And so if only God can be good, you are not. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. And then, I mean, in a sense, he's saying, who do you think I am? You know, you're coming and you're saying, good teacher. Do you really mean that? Do you really recognize who I am? But when, uh, when the, when he asks, you know, how he can, how he can be saved, um, how does Jesus respond to that? Very similarly, as with the lawyer, it's mm-hmm. follow the law. Yep. Follow the law. Same same answer. Follow the law. That's how you can be saved. Um, and how does this guy respond? I've done it. I've done it. He even got the t-shirt. Yeah. He's like, yep. 
I'm fulfilling the law. I'm I'm making it. And then Jesus responds um, a little differently than um, than he does in the uh, in the other one. Um, he says, "If you would be perfect, go uh, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me." Now, why does he respond that way? Why doesn't he say, "No, you haven't obeyed the law. Uh, you 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 sinned. You need." to trust in me instead. He doesn't say that. He says, okay, just go sell everything you have and follow me. So is there is there a third way to heaven now? Um, you know, either obey the law perfectly, put your faith in Christ, or sell everything you have. He's pointing out the sins of the heart. Uh-huh. And uh, you may have externally done these things, mm-hmm. but you still have sin in your heart. Right, right. Yeah, in a sense, it's like he's saying, oh, okay, so you've, you're following all Ten Commandments perfectly. So let's let's look at, let's see, what's, what's commandment number one? Hmm, you should have no other gods before me, right? Okay, well, let's, let's test that. Let's test and see if you're fulfilling number one. And the guy's like, uh, no, I like my money too much. So um, I think that's really what, you know, Jesus isn't saying, here's a third way to heaven. He's saying, okay, if you think you're fulfilling it, let's take a look. And the you know the result is, no, he's, he's not fulfilling the law of God. He's breaking commandment number one. Um, and, so, he, and he needs to realize that like the answer then is Jesus. So I'm saying in that sense, it's, it's the same answer uh-huh. as what the yeah. first... Yeah, it, it comes down to the same answer. He, I mean, he approaches it slightly differently, but it does come down to the same answer because that is always the answer. I mean, if you look the whole Bible over, you look at the way Paul deals with it as well. You know, it's, that's the answer. Um, yeah, you've got the law. If you if you obey the law, then yeah, you can you can make it. But nobody's doing that. Um, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, and we need another righteousness. We need the righteousness of Christ. Mm-hmm. I like they point out that it's with with the, the other man he was pointing out how he wasn't obeying the second mm-hmm. table of the law, love your neighbors yourself with mm-hmm. this book. Your is he's not following the first table of the mm-hmm. law, which yeah. part. Yeah. Um, and you know, and part of that just could be that like the uh, the the lawyer, you know, he's like he's already like. That's where apparently that's where it grabbed him. You know, it's like okay, yeah, I'm supposed to love my neighbor. It's like okay. The lawyer's like so. So exactly how how much does that apply? So he's he's you know he's the one that's focusing down on that on that one right there. But the other guy, he's just like yeah, I got it, no problem. I don't got any questions. So, but uh, but anyway, so yeah, Jesus does deal with each person individually, depending on you know what they need to hear. Um, but it is ultimately the same answer. So. Um, well, the disciples, um, well, it's, Jesus then um, has the, the famous statement about that it's more difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Um, what does that mean? It's impossible. It's impossible. Without God. Yeah. 
That's that's exactly right, and that's context tells you. The reason I ask that specifically, I don't know if any of you guys have ever heard this, but there's actually um, a, I don't know if it still exists, I don't think it does, but at, at one point um, during the medieval period, there was a... Uh, a thing in the in the wall of Jerusalem. It was like this little uh, entryway that like a, a camel would have to get down in, on its knees in order to get through it. Um, and so the idea was it's like oh you have to you have to humble yourself. You got to get on your knees and then you can do it. Um, but I mean that's something that came along much later. Um, it wasn't like that was that was an existing thing in Jesus' day, and so he's saying, "Oh yeah, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle." That's something that somebody else came up with later, misinterpreting this passage. Um, but the the reality is that the disciples they understood this, right? Because they're like, "Well, this how can anybody be saved then if it's that hard uh, going through the the eye, a camel going through the eye of a needle?" Um, and yeah, the answer Jesus gives is like. With man, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So, yeah. So you guys gave the right answer, but I did want to bring that up just because I've I've encountered that um, that misinterpretation there. Um, and it continues on there, um, verse twenty-seven. Then Peter said in reply, "See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have?" And Jesus said to them. Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold, and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. So here... Um, Jesus is promising them great reward for the sacrifice that they are making. Um, how do you think the disciples were likely to to think about this when they heard these things? Well, we see, I, I don't remember the reference off the top of my head, but we see later on uh-huh. that they get into arguments of uh-huh. who's going to be right next to Jesus. Uh-huh. Yep. It, it's, it's very much a, we're going to be in glory, but who's most important? Right, yeah. Yeah, they've, they've already had arguments about who's the greatest amongst the disciples. And actually, that's what we're going to look at next. Um, probably happened a little later in the timeline than where I'm putting it, but just like I'm arranging it thematically here. Um, this is uh, Matthew chapter 20, uh, beginning in verse 20. It says, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with their sons, or with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something, and he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, uh, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? Uh, they said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. Uh, And when the ten heard it, they were indignant with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. 
even as the Son of Man, came not to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So there we see, just like Mark was pointing out, they're still just so focused on the here and now and glory and like what position they can get. Um, what do you think of of Jesus's response when he hears this? He doesn't just say yes or no, right? <clears throat> He, he points out. Uh, I, he, he doesn't say yes or no, that, but he points out that it, it's already in God's plan okay. for where those people will be. Right. And yeah, it, it's it's again, your left and your right. He's saying you would need to be going through exactly what I'm going to go mm-hmm. through. Can you do that? Right. Yeah. He's he's pointing to like. They're thinking all glory here, um, you know, and he's like, can you can you drink the cup that that I'm going to drink? And what is Jesus referring to there? The cup of suffering. Yeah. Yeah. The cross, the suffering. They don't they don't see that, do they? They don't they don't. I mean, and he's told them, right? He's told them over and over again uh, what's going to happen to him. Um, but they still they're not they're not getting it. Um, and. Um, I mean, he does say that uh, you will drink my cup. Um, so they're they're gonna they're gonna experience some uh, some suffering yet. Um, but I mean, they don't really understand what they're asking because, in a sense, they're asking for for greater suffering. Um, uh, and then he finishes that passage with the whole. Uh, you need to you need to serve, mm-hmm. uh, and he compares it to the Gentiles, where those who exercise authority lord it over them. Mm-hmm. He says that's not how it is here. And I mean, we're going to get the ultimate example of that in a lot of ways in uh, the whole upper room, mm-hmm. where John, where, where John describes it as Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but they're—I they're, mean—they're very much are looking at it the way the Gentiles do, right? And yeah. It's like, oh, I have a position of authority, I can, I can just rule over people. It's—it's it's great. I mean, you know, it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's funny to me when I see that just like in the real world where people are wanting to basically climb a ladder, not because they can accomplish something, but because they want to be in that position where they can basically demean all the people beneath them. Um, so. And, and in a sense, that's, you know, it's the disciples, they just have a completely, you know, wrong-headed attitude about this. Um, but, of course, you know, Jesus, he's not he's not doing this so that he can lord it over people. He's doing this for the salvation of his people um, and is preparing for great suffering. So, I mean, in a sense, Jesus could just, like, be justified in getting really angry with them. He's actually, like, very, you know, gentle with them and... You know, it's basically like, do you really know what you're asking? This is, you know, this is, this is not something necessarily to be desired. This is, um, this is a, this is a rough road. Um, but he points them in the right direction. You know, be a, be a servant. That's, um, that's what you should be doing. Yeah, that's also what Jesus does. He's what he did with Martha. That's what he did. 
England's a rich young ruler. He's not. There are times when he gets very angry, mm -hmm. but it, it's only as these extreme abuses of things. It's mm -hmm. so often. I mean, that's the whole point of him coming down. He's coming to suffer for our sake. Mm -hmm. He's so patient, so kind, loving us to the end. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a a great picture of of the heart of Jesus. Um, the figuring out the exact time frame of of Jesus's period in Judea and how much of the time he is in Jerusalem is something that again is hard to like pin it down exactly. Um, but we do know that at one point he went to Jerusalem during the Feast of Dedication. We're going to talk about that. Um, but this is not his final march to um, to Jerusalem, which is going to take place. Uh, in the springtime, you know, in Passover. So this is, this is, I think, December is basically when uh, this is likely to be. So this is still a few months out from um, the actual uh, final days of Jesus. But in John chapter 10, um, beginning in verse 22, uh, it says, At that time, uh, the Feast of dedica Dedication took place at Jerusalem. Um, it was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, uh, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? Uh, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming, because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. So there we see that um, during this period of time, Jesus is spending some time in Jerusalem. Um, obviously, he's been doing a lot of teaching. He's been performing miracles. People are very aware of him. Um, what are the... What are, the, what are the Jews concerned about here the, at the beginning of this, when it starts this confrontation? They want to know if he's the Christ. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, the only times we've seen him, like, stating absolutely, plainly, unequivocally that that's who he is, is when he's alone with his disciples. And he's told them, don't tell anyone. Um but he's still basically going and proclaiming it everywhere, but just not 
in that direct of a way. He's, you know, he's he's uh, making all sorts of very grand statements about who he is, and he's performing all sorts of miracles to demonstrate uh, that these things are true. But they're like, hey, just just tell us plainly. Um, and what does Jesus point to? I have told you. I mean, and he has, as you said, it's not been done equivocally. Right. But all the implications are there. Yeah. He's he's doing all the miracles. He's you know he's he's showing them that um, you know that that he has the authority. You know he's not some charlatan. You know God is giving him the power to do these things. Um, and why is it that they're not that they're not uh, buying into what he's saying? According to Jesus, it says, "You do not believe because you are not among my sheep." Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what does that mean? Uh, say they are not of the elect. They yeah. are not saved. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, we know, you know, taking all of Scripture, um, but I mean, this is one of the passages that that brings this up is, you know, that God chooses His people, and he enables us to hear his voice, to uh, to understand, and to I mean to you know when we read the scripture we see this is the voice of God. We we read the gospels we see this is Jesus, um, and we we hear and we follow. Um, it's something that just God grants to us, uh, very much similar to what we saw a little earlier today. Um, and he's making claims about his relationship with the Father, right? That are pretty strong. How do the Jews respond to that? Pick up stones. Yeah. Why do they do that? It's the right response if he's not the Christ. It's very much if he's not the Son of God. Very much the wrong response since he is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they they understand, right? They understand the claims he's making. I mean, and you know, they're saying, you know, tell us plainly, are you the Christ? But it's like they understand he is making that claim. Um, he's and he's claiming to be the Son of God, and they're they're ready to they're ready to kill him for blasphemy because, from their perspective, it can't be true. Therefore, he is just a mere man that's making these claims. I, I think it's interesting in verse thirty-three. It says, "Being a man, you make yourself God." Uh-huh. Not understanding it's the opposite. He, he is God who made himself a man. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, yeah. That is that is very much the case. It, he is God that made himself man. Um, but they they uh, they're they're viewing it as, as that he's just a man, but he's yeah. making out so that he is uh, that he is God. Um, and he again he appeals to his works. Um, you know, he appeals to the, the 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 miraculous things he's doing as a vindication of his claims about who he is. Um, and of course, they're they're still trying to catch him. They're still trying to arrest him, stone him, whatever they can do. Uh, but he he gets away. Uh, once again, we don't have a explanation of how he gets away it might be again it might be an indication that he somehow miraculously escapes them but we know that it's not his time it's not the time that he will be uh, finally arrested and executed um, but in spite of this hostility that he continues to get you know and they're just they're getting more and more hostile 
uh, more and more ready to put him to death, uh, but he escapes. Um, and then in uh, beginning in verse 40, uh, he went away again across the Jordan uh, to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. Uh, and many came to him and they said, uh, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. So, again, we see kind of similar to what was happening, I mean, what's happened multiple times um, in Jesus' ministry is that when things get, like, pretty hot and it's not yet time for uh, for Jesus to be put to death, he kind of, you know, skates away and goes to a different area where he's a little harder to get to. Um, but we see that, like, even there, people are still coming to him, right? Um, and um, people are, you know, they're talking about John the Baptist here. And they're like, well, he didn't do any sign. You know, John the Baptist wasn't doing any miraculous stuff. Um, but he was teaching, and he talked about Jesus and pointed people to Jesus. And um, and, they're, and they're like, yeah, everything that, that John said about Jesus, that's it's, it's true. And so there are many people that are believing him. So he's he's getting more and more of a following. Hmm. I probably should have moved a little faster. Let's see here. Well, you guys are familiar with this, so we're going to really summarize this. So the next thing up is the story of Lazarus. Lazarus. Um, so... And, and in fact, I mean, I think we've recently had a sermon that, that featured this story, so it should be pretty familiar to all of you. So we're going to save some time by not reading that. Um, but we, um, some of the things that I want to point out, and there's, you know, there's tons of just great stuff in here, but just some of the things I want to point out that are just kind of the flow of the narrative here um, that aren't specific to this event, but just happen in here. Um, if you guys remember, uh, when Jesus hears about Lazarus, um, that he's sick, um, what do the disciples want to do? Do you guys remember? This is in John 11. Um, when they hear about it and they're like, you know, somebody's, you know, sending the message, hey, come and see him. Um, what are the what are the disciples thinking at this point? We, we can save him. Let's go. Is um, that what they say? Hold on. Uh, they say he whom you love is ill, but later on when they actually does go, uh, Thomas called the twin says we're going to die. Right, okay, we're going to back up just a little bit. Um, I should point, I know it's a big section, I didn't read it. So look at verse 8. Chapter 11, verse 8. Uh, yes, I see. Oh. oh, why would you go back, basically? You're seeking to stone you. Why yeah. would you? Yeah, it's like, hey, we just, we just uh, like, you know, I mean, Bethany is just like, I think it's like two miles away from Jerusalem, so it's just like it's right in that area. They're like, hey, we just, we just left the area of Jerusalem because they were gonna stone you. Um, I'm not sure this is a good idea. Um, and then, um, and then what Ben's bringing up is uh, when they, when they are gonna go, what does, what does Thomas say? Let's go die with him. Right. So why is, why is he saying that? 
What is he saying? Let's go die with him. Because they think the Jews are going to stone him. Yeah. As not, I mean, they're not they're not afraid that they're going to catch what what Lazarus had. It's just like, okay, if we're going to go. Yeah, let's let's go. We're we're going to die too. You know, Lazarus died. We're going to die. We're going to we're going to die by violence. Um, and um, of course, they return and. Uh, Lazarus is raised. Uh, just a wonderful story, a uh, wonderful picture of of even spiritual life of of Jesus saying to each of us, uh, "Come forth uh, from our state of death." Um, and then in John 11, uh, verse 45, it says, "Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary." and had seen what he did, believed in him. Uh, But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered uh, the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. uh, If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Uh, But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this on his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not only uh, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Uh, Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called uh, Ephraim, uh, and there he stayed with the disciples. So here, you know, they've already, they already want to kill Jesus. And then Jesus shows up and he performs this miracle of raising somebody from the dead in front of a whole bunch of people who'd been in, you know, the guy had been in a tomb for four days and now he's alive and hanging out and talking with people and stuff like that. Like, things are getting really bad, right? He's really causing a stir. So, how are, how are the religious leaders responding to this? One man needs to die for many. Yeah. It's like, yeah, this this is just going to go bad. Um, the Romans are, and we're, we're going to cause such a disturbance that the Romans are going to make it where we don't have any authority at all. Um, so it's better if we just kill Jesus and get this problem over with, and then things will go better for the nation, right? Um, that's what they're thinking. Is God working behind this statement as well? He's thinking the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not exactly the same thing, but but yeah. Uh, God is thinking the same thing. How does how does it how does it work with the way God's thinking about it? Jesus, the whole point, the reason he came was to suffer, to die, mm-hmm. to pay the penalty, and, and then to rise again, which mm-hmm. he's talked about. Yeah. To to redeem the life of his sheep, of his yeah. children of God. Yeah. So Jesus is going to be dying for his people. You know, they're thinking of it in a very selfish way. It's like, you know, we, we want to keep our nation, so we're willing to kill this one guy just to get it over with. But Jesus is like, I'm going to lay down my own life for my people because I love them. Um, and that's the only way that we could be saved from our own wickedness and from the wrath of God due to us for that. Um, 
so kind of see you know divine sovereignty and and uh, human action kind of at play all in the same thing there um and then of course jesus is even more going and hiding here right he's he's no longer walking openly among the jews um he's he's really like you know keeping it close because like he's really made himself a stink in their nostrils um and so um when we pick up next time we're going to be beginning the final march to jerusalem when jesus does come back out of hiding and really puts things you know makes it where everything comes to a to a final confrontation so any thoughts or questions all right let's uh let's close in prayer heavenly father god we just we thank you uh, that you did send jesus to die for us that uh indeed uh one man uh died for many so that we would be saved and uh, God, we just, as we think about uh, just all the things we looked at this morning and the interactions that uh, Jesus had with people and his His gentleness, um, even with uh, those who uh, had wrong ideas and uh, just always bringing the focus uh, to eternal things. God, I just pray that we would heed those things, that we would uh, seek to set our minds on that which is eternal uh, and not to be uh, focused on our own glory here in this life. Uh, and God, just that, um, again, just our love for Jesus would continue to grow uh, and that you would be glorified in us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.